0: Beautiful worship, thank you. For that and just um, getting our hearts and minds ready—it's nothing like worship for me, at least—to to get that ready to go. So before we begin, um, you have a page in your packet there to take notes, and I'd like you to bring that out and fold your paper in half um, down the lengthwise. Um, used to call that in school hot dog. So okay. just fold it down. I thought that said alright. And on one side I'd like you to put um, yourself and anything that you associate with your heart and your loves and your life. Just yourself, you can just put me. Mm-hmm. Is there not a blank page in your packet? Yes, one? Each one? Oh, there's side. Oh. And then on the other side, I want you to take a minute to think about um, something or someone that feels disconnected from you. Um, could be something you've been praying for for a long time. could be um, a relationship that you've been praying for. It's something that feels out there, unresolved. Um, So on one side, you and yourself. And on the other side of that page... Something in your life that feels out there, not connected to you, and that you're, you've, you're sensing that disconnect. And um, just let that hang there for a minute as you think through. Um, what is it in your life that's you feel like it's you here, and then a hope, a dream, a relationship, um, an unmet need, an unanswered prayer request? something that you've been waiting for for a long 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 time or something that you just is dealing with recently, whatever. And as we move through our study this morning, going back over and reviewing chapters 10 through about halfway through of chapter 13, um, what, I, what I started to see is this this gathering of the disciples only to be scattered mm-hmm. and then to be regathered. And then a scattering again. And as I was seeing this expand and contract visual, I started to think about how often God has worked in my own life in that way. And so I'd like us to have that resonating in our minds as we're moving through these verses again and um, maybe rethinking them or digging deeper. I love, and I've said this before, but I love that way we have it organized how you guys do the study for two weeks and we come together and I'm not teaching on something that you, have, you haven't you have heard before. I used to go to a Bible study where they would introduce the new study with the, with the gal that they're teaching and then I would go home with all of her thoughts in my brain. I feel like you guys all come in here with your own time in the word. I love mm-hmm. that and it just had so many layers of um, understanding and I love hearing from you when you guys um, share your thoughts and feedback on it as well. All right, so set that there in your mind. Let that just hover in there. And let's go ahead and start. Chapter 10, uh, verse 1 here. So we have Peter and uh, uh, Cornelius, and um, and they are going to meet, right? These are guys from two (laughs) opposite extremes of society. And we, for up to this moment, have been in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in spite of Acts 1-8, and God saying, you're going to go out, you're going to go out, you're going to go out. And we've had these little peekaboos out here and there, but this is the big one. This is the big one. And this is the big aha moment for Peter. And I think this moment also with Peter's encounter with Cornelius is about Cornelius' conversion and his household, but it really is Peter's conversion too. Peter needed to be transformed in his mind, and um, it's so exciting, and I'm so excited for you guys to get in the next few chapters coming up and to see the depths that we're going to go into all this, but let's go ahead and um, get back together with our man Cornelius, who was a um, centurion uh what was known as the italian cohort a devout man who feared god with all his household he gave gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to god so we've got cornelius he's this roman guy and he's been exposed to all the roman pantheon of gods and if you're thinking in terms of modern day it's it's a little it feels disconnected to think about people worshiping a bunch of gods until you drive over to my side of town and you see the buddhist temple and you walk into that Buddhist temple, you can take a free tour, and they have a fabulous <laughs> vegetarian buffet, by the way. It's like five bucks, all you can eat. It's really good. But you walk through, and you're like, there's God for that, and God for that, and yeah. there's God for that. They're like God for laundry. People bring in their laundry and mm-hmm. their laundry baskets and lay it down for you over them. So there were, this isn't just back you know, 2,000 years ago. Hindus, Buddhists to this day, and other, um, other religions <clears throat> worship a pantheon of gods, and the Romans did that. Uh, so they, he would have been familiar with Jupiter, and Augustus, and Mars, and Venus, and there somehow he also added in Judaism, and he rejected the polytheism of his upbringing, and we don 't know how he got that word, but word gets to him and i I think there's a movie in here somewhere right oh, yeah. that Cornelius maybe watched you know Jesus from afar through all this, and it feels like a you know an old good movie you know epic one but He's in the category of what the Jews actually did call God-fearers. They had that category. And these were Gentiles who loved Israel, right? They were sympathetic and even supportive of the Jewish faith. But they stopped short of becoming full Jews, right? They weren't full converts or proselytes. And we meet later on someone like that. Um, But they don't go as far as really become a, a convert and the Jewish people at this time, they respected these God-fearing Gentiles, but they really couldn't share their life with them. They couldn't share their, anything with them because not only uh, was there laws that God had written, but the, the laws had been added on to that. They, the um, Sadducees, the, the Torah had been added to, they called it a fence around the law. If this is a law that God gave. Then they wanted to build a fence around that logic. So We couldn't get any closer to that. And from that, they added on all these extra things that the people had to do. And and so a lot of things that you're all hear and see uh, Peter responding to isn't just his upbringing as a Jew in terms of obedient to God's actual mm-hmm. word. But it's all this tradition that got added on to what he, he um, believed. All right. So um, they, uh, because they were still Gentiles, they were not actually Jewish converts. There's no way a Jew could get anywhere close to these guys and that had to that had to come down that wall had to come down for this to happen so Cornelius has a vision and an angel appears to him and says your prayers and your alms have ascended to a memorial for god this guy gave the salvation army bucket right? <laughs> like this guy was a good guy he was moral and he was ethical and he did right before god and so we, their biblical language here is this memorial to God is what we hear in the Psalms about even about our worship and our, our life going up and our, as a fra- sweet, fragrant offering to God. And so the angel comes and tells him this. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with another guy named Simon, not to be confused, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And this hour also tells you that something was doing a little bit of a shift Peter was actually with this tanner because tanners in Jewish society were unclean also because they were constantly around dead bodies. And tanners were lived by the sea, which is where Joppa was. And because the ocean breeze would sweep away the odor, but also they had access to all that water and they needed it for their tanning. So this also gives you a hint that something was moving in Simon already. Then he was there with this tanner and yet God said, you got to go in. I got to get you all in. All right. So, um, he hears, he gets this vision from the angel, right? And, um, he obeys him and he sends three of his guys. Meanwhile, what's God doing? He's preparing Peter. So you've got these two guys farther apart than the split on your paper. And God is working in both of their lives and they have no clue about each other at all. Right. And so God's preparing Peter and he does it the way that the saying goes, the way to a man's heart is through his what? stomach. His stomach. And that's exactly what God does to get to <laughs> Peter. He goes for totally. his stomach. Because Peter's hungry. He's up on the rooftop. He's waiting for a meal. Um, and um, he goes into a trance, right? And uh, what he sees in this trance is so fascinating. And actually, as I was reading through it again, I was reminded of uh, just a chapter right before this, <clears throat> When Paul makes his narrow escape over the walls, how does he escape over the walls? He's let down in a basket over the opening of the wall to make his escape. And so while Paul gets to escape from a letting down inside of this basket, Peter is an escape from his mindset because he's going to see this letting down of this blanket before him. God's using this imagery again here. All right. So he saw the heavens open. He, we go into this passage and it describes this great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners on the earth, and <coughs> all the animals and reptiles, birds of the air, and a voice comes to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter, classic, classic Peter, <laughs> by no means, Lord. By no means, I have never eaten anything still, that is com- common or unclean. So Peter out. is making this strong association with his powerful identity. No matter what a numskull I've been, what, what hard-headed, loud-mouthed, uh, it, you know, impulsive guy I've been, I have kept a lot, and this is a big one. You've never caught me with bacon. Like, he is made by no means. And it almost feels like, is this a trap, Lord? Is he going to, like, reach for the basket and God's going to smack him? And it's like, no, nope, that's not going to happen. You know, Peter had this bad habit of telling Jesus no. In Matthew sixteen twenty two and John thirteen eight. he says, no, Lord, I'm not going to be that one. All right? And compare Peter's response to Cornelius. Not so, Lord, he says. And Cornelius' response is, What do you want, Lord? I got it. I'm here for you, right? So on that day, it seems that Cornelius was actually more responsive to God than Peter was. Why? Because Peter had all these layers, that fence around the law, keeping him from really hearing God. And God needed to break that down. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, Do not call, come, and he does that three times, three days, and three denials. Three men show up, this period of three, because God keeps on going back with Peter to what he had done before, denying him three times, God affirms him later three times, do you love me, take care of my sheep, three times this blanket of smorgasbord gets dropped for him, and what happens? How many people show up to the door to greet him eventually? Three. God's making this connection here for him, so he is not going to miss the point. In Old Testament thinking, there was holy and there were common things. Holy things and common things. The holy was made common when it was in contact with anything that was common. All right. So that's why people were unclean. And in our sensibility, we would look at them, that seems kind of off, unfair, unnecessary. But if you go back, if you did in our study to Leviticus, where God lays it out, he's saying, "You, I'm calling you out as peculiar people. You're not going to look the same as everybody else around you because you're not going to eat the same way. And uh, so he divided up their their um, clothing the way they would eat. wouldn't even let them blend fabrics. No blending of fabrics. No, no blending of crops. And no foods that look like anybody else's foods either. You're going to eat different from everybody else. All right. So... What I see also here is this amazing, miraculous timing. Because the men didn't arrive a second too early, and they didn't arrive a second too late. While Peter was pondering the vision, he's out of the vision, the Spirit says to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. Right at that moment. That means they had to have left Cornelius on Cornelius's command, made their way to Joppa, Meet up with him in the exact precise moment. There's, that's a miracle. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, the timing, right? And they explain their mission and they describe Cornelius and they're very um, affirming about who he is. He's a God-fearer and he's well-esteemed among all the Jews. And, and so Peter comes down, follows them there. And um, when, they, when he arrives on the scene, they are overcome with emotion and not sure exactly what to do. So what do they end up doing in front of Peter? They take the knee. They bow, right? They bow before Peter and they worship him. It's very significant here because whenever in the Bible worship is offered to a man or even to angels, it's always refused by godly men. The only one who ever received such worship is Jesus. He's the only one. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from any other nation. You see, the distance wasn't just on the Jews' end mentally to them. The Gentiles knew it too. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. What? Were there any people that dropped down in that sheet? No, there were no people. The whole sheet was full of food. But Peter makes the connection in his mind like, oh, and we have an exciting moment here when a, and a prophecy or a vision is actually correctly um, interpreted. So he's represented by the food and he applies it to the people, okay? A couple of points on this. There's a sect of Christianity that um, I'm very close to and very, a lot of association with in my life um, called Messianic Christians. And these are Christians who believe in Jesus Christ, who've adopted the Jewish laws, um, they believe that we should be keeping kosher um, and that we should never have rejected all that part of the law, uh, the ceremonial laws. Moral law is one completely different story. Everyone should behave themselves don't murder people and kill people. That's moral law. But in terms of what you eat and what clothes you wear, there's the, the Messianic Christians are um, Torah-keeping Messianic Christians. All right. So what I want to encourage you to do, this is just in the case that possibly you end up engaging with someone or, or you, like my husband and I spend some time wondering, gosh, maybe we should be obeying these laws Have we messed it up. I mean, was, you know, did Constantine really jack up the calendar and do all these things? And there's a whole interesting theories about all of that. But, um, I want to, I want to encourage you on this. Don't use this verse as a proof text for we can eat pork now. There's plenty of other verses. We're going to get to those all next week in Galatians when we study through Galatians next week plenty of other verses in Hebrews too that will prove that we aren't to be needing to be obeying the ritual laws but don't use this one as your proof text for that it will fall apart trust me especially having engaged with messianic Torah keeping Jews uh, Christians for quite a long time anyway that, that's just a side note in terms of you if you happen to engage with people or if you're wondering um what to do Peter makes the connection that it wasn't about the food and so the Torah keeping messianic Christians say it's not about the food we sh- still shouldn't be eating that food and it's only about people. And it's a really good point. Don't use this verse to justify not eating bacon. Use Hebrews and use Galatians instead. There's plenty, like I said, to do that. So Cornelius goes in and he ends up explaining um, this whole vision. And Peter opens his mouth and said, Truly I understand. Here's again the, the meaning of the vision. This is why I don't use this vision to justify eating bacon. <clears throat> Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. That was the meaning of the vision. But in every nation... Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. All right. So that was big news because only the Jews were acceptable to God up until this point in Peter's mind and in all the Old Testament training, unless they converted to the one true God and became a a Jew. And again, this isn't so much about Cornelius's conversion. And it is as it is about Peter's. Peter needed to make the switch. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. I love that Luke makes sure he adds this aside from uh, Peter's sermon. He is Lord of all. Why would Cornelius and Cornelius' household need to hear that? Because they were exposed to polytheism. Everybody, anything, we have lords and Caesar and Herod and all that are like gods, right? Mm -hmm. So he's saying Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. And Peter preaches the gospel to them. And when he is still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And we get a second Pentecost, basically, right? And so the believers from among the circumcised who would come with Peter were amazed. And make a note of that in your Bible, from among the circumcised, that's going to come up again and again and again and again, especially in lesson eight coming up. They had come with Peter and it's really important. Again, God is working to bring the exact right timing together, the exact right people who needed to hear it in the exact time and place that they needed to hear it. And those six people that come uh, together with, with Peter, um, including those among, from among the circumcised, are really important because they're going to play a big part in the next uh, lesson coming up. They come with Peter. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. And it's like, come on, guys. Acts 1-8. Y'all heard it. Y'all been preaching it. But somehow, I think they thought up to this point, maybe somehow they still had to become a Jew. They had to convert, but no. So we have this second Pentecost. While they're hearing, speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declares, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some time. Again, this is such a great example of why we avoid proof texting in the Bible while we pick out verses and say, this is how it should be done. We have talked about this over and over again in Acts, that Acts is descriptive and prescriptive. Um, So we have to be careful not to take descriptions about how things are done and make it prescriptions for how things have to be. Because what happens first? The Holy Spirit comes, and then they get baptized. Mm -hmm. What happens in other times? They get baptized, and then the Holy Spirit comes. So let's not make that a law. This is, don't add this to the Ten Commandments about how things should be saved. And felt the card, raise your hand, go forward, touch Jesus Christ, get your Savior. Boom! And now it's perfect. Oh, baptized and all. No, let God do His thing. Let God do His thing. Peter reports back to the church then, chapter eleven. So the apostles and their brothers who were with. Or throughout judea heard that the gentiles also received the word of god so when peter went up to jerusalem jerusalem <laughs> whatever circumcision jerusalem i was putting them together uh, when he went up to jerusalem who criticizes the circumcision party of they weren't there they didn't, they didn't see all of this so they're like oh well i don't think so and i i think there's a point where you might say hey they shouldn't well they're so picky about they needed to be convinced And so what does Paul, what does Peter do? He comes in and he flaunts his apostolic authority. I'm on, Hey, God told me, and I'm coming in to tell you, this is how it's going to be. And I know he just preaches it over to to them. He lets them. Hear the word. He tells them, he describes what happens. They need to understand too. So he doesn't need someone to show up with all the authority and tell them how it's going to be. He just tells them how it was. And they get it. And because and Peter adds, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Peter saying, I remember the word of the Lord. I love that little moment there of Peter going, ding. Like he he's sharing with everybody this life old moment that he has. Do you ever do that too? Where you're, you're talking with a friend and all of a sudden you go, boom, that Bible verse. You know, Jesus had said, don't worry what you're going to say. I'm going to give you the Holy spirit. It's going to prompt you exactly what you need to say. You need to know the word. So it's tucked down inside there. You need to have your cup full. So out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak the good things. And Peter does that right here. Verse 17. If then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us. And we believed to the Lord, to Lord Jesus Christ. Who was that? That I could stand in God's way. Like Gamaliel has said back in the, back in the day about them getting locked up. Like we're going to stand in God's way. We'll see what happens with all this. And they're seeing what's happening here. So when they heard all these things, they fell silent. There must have been a loud uproar and a big climb where everyone's discussing and everyone was arguing, everyone was going back and forth. And Peter speaks, he gives the authority, he says, Hey, this is what ends up happening, and they're like, Okay. <laughs> Now, matter settled, and he glorified God, saying, "Then to the Gentiles also." It's like a big hurrah, and they're clanging their mugs together. <laughs> and then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And If they had been three musketeers, they'll bring up their swords and all for one, one for all. We should name a church like that. So, <laughs> um, this is exciting, ladies. I want—I don't have a slide, but I want you to hop over to Ephesians chapter two, if you would, please couple of things I want to point out. Number one, um, let's be careful again about prescriptive and descriptive. <coughs> Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter two. Because Cornelius alms were sent up to God and his prayers were heard by God. I think there's possibly a temptation among us to say, oh, it's like the pagans who haven't been heard the gospel. They didn't hear the name of Jesus. Maybe they're going to just be saved too. Um, and he was doing good works. He was giving alms. He was a good guy. He was moral. He was ethical. He had denied and gotten rid of polytheism and he moves over to monotheism. He's believing in the one true God as much as he could. But I want to be careful to make that leap then and say, well, therefore anybody who's good and ethical and moral is in, because the point is Cornelius wasn't in, right? His, his prayers and his alms went up as a memorial, that had nothing to do with his salvation so he was good but not in the sense of truly righteous because god calls our righteousness what filthy rags so cornelius no one's going to give him the hard time oh well you're righteous that was a bunch of filthy rags because the you know, angel came down and said give him this vision you you've done good and god's seen this so he gets the attention but we don't make a whole doctrine about that so all those people out there if we just oh we just pray and somehow they're going to hear the gospel on their own in their own heart let's not build our theology in the way we function as a church on that let's hear what uh paul says to the church in ephesus um i'm sure you're very familiar with chapter um, two verse eight for by grace you've been saved how through faith and this is not of your own doing you didn't do any good works for this it's a gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast Who's who's got the good works? God does. Why? Because he says that we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. That's on God, not us. Nothing that we're doing is going to impact our salvation. It gets God's attention. But see, what happens is I believe that when people live up to the light that they've received, like Paul says in Romans chapter one, kinds of handiwork is clearly seen. The truth of who God is is clearly seen in creation cornelius is one of those and then the truth gets brought to him so he can follow finish that act therefore verse 13 remember that at one time you gentiles cornelius in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel strangers to the covenants of the promise having no hope that's Cornelius and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. And listen, he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That's the ritual law. That's the don't eat pig. Don't blend your fabrics, all that. That's what he says. Nope, no more of that. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both because we both need reconciliation to God in one body through the cross, thereby healing the hostility. And that's exactly what happens with Peter. No more hostility, no more walls, right? He gets to meet up with Cornelius. He gets to meet the whole household. He actually sets foot in a Gentile home that would never have happened before then so Barnabas picking up here went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he found him he brought him to Antioch for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people that must have been exciting times right and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians Antioch becomes this massive hub Jerusalem hub and then Antioch they are first called christians and so agabus um has this prophecy now in those days prophets came down from jerusalem to antioch and one of them named agabus stood and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world so the disciples determined everyone in order to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in judea and they did it and they sent it to the elders by the hands of barnabas and saul about that time king herod herod the king laid violent hands on uh, some who belonged to the church so this is, a, this is a figure of speech metaphor saying he's, he's arresting, he's killing, and um, he kills James, all right? the brother of John with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he wrings his hands together in evil delight. right He's like, oh good, I think the Jew's on my side. And he wants to look like a good Jew too. Um, uh, Herod observed Passover. He did those religious things also. So up into Acts chapter 12, the church has been on this streak of success really and they're experiencing one conversion, and it's building, and one conversion after another, after another, and first is uh, Saul of Tarsus, then uh, this Gentile, um, Cornelius, and um, this successful work of Barnabas and Saul, uh, Paul, but in Acts 12, it all kind of breaks in with this ugliness of Herod, and uh, Satan getting involved, and raising his head again, and james wasn't certainly wasn't any of the first to die i mean stephen of course was martyred as well but the death of james probably shattered any illusion that the apostles were somehow immune to any of this because that broke right into the apostles inner circle so um james about the brother of john in particular um they thought he might have been protected because of of his associated with jesus he was one of the special close-up intimate people in, in jesus life all right so during the days of unleavened bread and when he had seized him he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to get him um intending after the passover to bring him out to the people so Peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer for him was made um to God by the church he, here is not messing around Peter's already gotten out a couple of times he's already he's already escaped the hand of of the Jews and the other leaders and and Herod's like I'll I'll show you I'll put you under four squads of soldiers. And surely God up in heaven is going, oh, no, four squads. <laughs> oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with four squads of soldiers? <laughs> no, of course not. All right. So Peter's kept in prison. Earnest prayer uh, for him was made to God by the church. And that word there has this idea of, of earnestness, literally the word picture of someone who's stretching out all they can for something. Um, it's the verb ektenos and um it's described stretching out of a a muscle to its limits right that is what they were doing which makes it even more humorous and delightful i think what happens next because here they are stretched to their limit in prayer and uh, luke actually uses this exact same word to describe jesus agonizing prayer in the garden of gethsemane so it's that same just flat out prayer but peter Ends up getting rescued, doesn't he? When Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, and I love these little points of detail. He's got the four squads, two soldiers, two chains, and sentries before the door guarding the prison, and behold, the angel of the Lord just stood next to him. (laughs) 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 Uh, Light shone in the cell, and that does not wake him up. The light doesn't get him up at all. He struck Peter on the side. That is not just a gentle little touch. It is a flat out like kicks him hard. Have you ever had to wake someone up that hard? <laughs> he struck Peter on the side. He woke him up saying, get up quickly. You know, for a society that spends millions and millions of years on sleeping pills, this is shocking.
1: He, he's
0: sleeping. He's sleeping. He's that confident. In 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter writes, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. And that wasn't something he hadn't practiced. He had practiced that. He was sleeping, chained to two soldiers and guarded. I want you to think about the most stressful, worrisome situation that's going on in your life right now. Are you chained to two soldiers? Is your life going to be snuffed out tomorrow? Okay. Let's just put it all in perspective. And so Peter knew the timetable. He knew Passover was over. He knew he was liable to come before Herod and get killed the next day. And and um, he's like this uh, an old story that says, an old man was on a boat sleeping through a terrible storm and somebody says aren't you concerned aren't you worried and he reminds them what the psalmist says about the lord the lord never sleeps and never slumbers and he says if that's true for the lord there's no sense in both of us staying away. <laughs> know, that's exactly peter's mindset here behold an angel of the lord suddenly appeared and the light shone in the cell and he says get up and and go and the chains fall off his hands and Peter's so out of it that angel actually has to instruct him how to get dressed. Those of you who have toddlers relate to this as well. <laughs> Dress yourself. Put on your sandals. <laughs> and he did so. And he said, "Damn, wrap your cloak around you." <laughs> He's like, "Grab your stuff and let's go." And he Peter's still out of it. He went home. He went out and followed him. He doesn't know um, what when done it was an angel. If it was real, what was going on? He thought he was a seeing a vision. All right. So expectations of deliverance met. That just meant exceeded, Seated. not just exceeded, completely obliterated, mm-hmm. absolutely obliterated. Then, verse 13. And uh, he knocks at this door of uh, the servant girl, and uh, Rhoda, her name, by the way, means Rose. Uh, just for your information, if you want to name your dog that, Rhoda's a cute name, Rose. And uh, they've been praying all night long. And uh, he knocks on the door of the gate. The servant girl, Rhoda, comes to answer. It's just the most darling scene. It really is. And I can just, can't we just put your, put, put ourselves into that moment as well? You're at a prayer meeting. Everyone's really praying and weeping and crying. And uh, going all out in prayer. And little Rhoda runs to the door, opens the door. Oh, doesn't open the door. and sees him and just turns around and goes back. All right. Peter continues knocking, verse 16. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James, not, not the James was beheaded, obviously, Um, but James who ends up writing um, the book of James. Um, Then he departs and he went to another place in the midst of this very fearful, threatening persecution that happened. Herod has already slaughtered James. Now he wants to slaughter Peter. And that's the only beginning of what Herod ends up wanting to do here. In the midst of all of this, they learn that God delivers his own. But here's what they also see. Come on. Weren't people asking why didn't he deliver James too? Couldn't God have delivered James? Don't you ever sit there and wonder why him, not her? I mean, why can't God just take care of the grumpy guys and take them up and go and be with the Lord? But he takes like the really nice, good, sweet people. Like, you want, why? Why? You scratch your head. Like, why is this happening and not that? They took, God took James. And God didn't need another angel in heaven, by the way. Let's make sure we're, we're staying away from that kind of uh, bad theology. No, nope, people aren't transmogrified into angels when they die. God didn't need no more angels. He's made all of his angels were done. We don't go home and become an angel. God didn't need James for that reason. All the days ordained for us were written in this book before one of them came to be, the Bible says. That was end of James. Peter departs into another place. Where does he go? We don't know. He's going into hiding probably. All right. All right. But here's what's interesting. At this point, he fades out. Peter ends up fading out. We see him a little bit coming up. But when you come to chapter 13, we're introduced to Paul again. And Peter is been the main force, the main player in God's efforts and God's work here. But from this point forward, it's going to be Paul. All right. So morning comes. They wake up. There's no Peter. They're really distressed. Herod kills the uh, the guards and uh, we move forward into this moment where um Herod stands before um the the people and makes a big spectacle of himself we see Herod playing the part of the fool standing against God. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. If you read Josephus, and you can, it's online, you can actually freely get all of Josephus' writings for free. Uh, he's this Jewish historian. He writes during this time. He actually tells a lot of details about this particular event. One of them that was really exciting, actually interesting, um, was that this royal robe that Herod puts on was actually made of silver. Oh, and yes, it was made of silver. Oh, and Josephus writes that it, it shone in the sun and flashed and glittered so that when he stood up, it looked like a star. Oh, like he just flashed. <laughs> I know, right? A little <laughs> anyway, um, so... He gets up and he speaks and he delivers and the people um, are shouting the voice of God and man. And instead of refusing all this worship, he, instead of turning it to God, of course not. He's wearing a silver robe that's glistening in the sun. He knows it's all about him, the Herod show, right? what a fool trying to steal God's glory for himself, right? So here's what's interesting, what ends up happening to him. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he didn't give God the glory and he was eaten by worms. Josephus writes about this as well. And um, what ends up happening, it was, is he was actually literally inflicted by worms. It wasn't just in the in the grave and he died um, and he got eaten by worms like it's a figure of speech. He was afflicted by worms and it took him five days to die. <gasps> oh, no. So, yeah. Thank you, Luke, for not giving us all that. You're welcome, I will. <laughs> Read Josephus. Fascinating stuff. Anyway, so here. What we see here, if we can use kind of what's called an anthropomorphism. And apply to God. God's just kind of being a little cynical or a little sarcastic here. And uh, he brings down this, this pompous fool, this Herod, from his throne. This huge, resplendent, silver, gilded <laughs> Herod with a worm. Yeah. Right? God's making a point. God's making a big, big point here. And the word of God. But the word of God increased and multiplied it went on and on and on. Persecution doesn't stop it. Nothing stops the word of God. Barnabas and Saul go back to Jerusalem. They carry on their mission. They take along with them John Mark. He plays an interesting role coming up in the next chapters to come and and Paul uh Paul is not real happy with him in a little while, although he hangs out with them for now. And um when you hear this story about Herod and uh, what happens to him, it does remind me of the words of Jesus. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to stand up against it. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. They completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so Barnabas and Saul are heading off now. Now in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. This little passage right here, we could preach for a 45 minute sermon on why, because this is a cross cultural group of power mm-hmm. men out there, and they are from a very diverse background. If you read into all of their names and their background, but but Luke is, is, is really brilliant in making sure he includes their names and their backgrounds and is to say the words out. And we've got this cross racial, cross cultural connection here of people bringing out the word. And they while they worship what they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the holy spirit says uh, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and they sent them off we see the spiritual disciplines alive in their life of fasting and worshiping and praying and i love this the holy spirit tells them now if you've ever known in your heart of hearts god i know this is where i'm supposed to be I have prayed about this. I, I, I got advice from other people. This is exactly who I'm supposed to be with or exactly the job I'm supposed to have or exactly the whatever fill in the blank because you know that you know that you know you prayed. And it's it's going south. Please go back to this verse. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them because the next three chapters are not going to be fun for Barnabas and Saul. But the Holy Spirit said, said set them apart and they immediately head out to this um, island. So being sent out by the Holy spirit and they end up on Cyprus and they meet up with the crazy magician that's that Luke doesn't even want to really call him by his Hebrew name bar Jesus. So he makes sure we all know um, what his um, Greek name is. So he gets over to this um, island and this um, terrible, um, evil satanic man who's consulting with demons. He's a false prophet. He's turned his back on Judaism. And um, Luke makes sure we all know his name is Elmas, the sorcerer. And, um, and he is, he's keeping people from the one true God. And again, like Herod, God will have none of that. God will have none of that. And again, I think about this story and I think about, why did you have none of that with the Herod guy? I can think of a whole bunch of people right now I'd like you to send some worms on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> why Herod. I mean, none of you people, of course. I don't want any worms for y'all. At one and also, well, this Elvis guy, God lets him have and he ends up blind, right, in the whole thing. There's other people right now, and even during Paul's time, that were blocking the gospel. But God makes a point on this guy. Ladies, we're not in charge of the wisdom of God, and why? I want you to think about uh, you and uh, relative to um, your little toddlers, the little, little kids, And they have their personality and their demands and their style and what they want and their character. And and there's a huge distance between what they can grasp and what you know is right for them. Even though they really feel like they need to have that M&M and that candy and that whatever right now. You're like, this is not going to work out well. As much as you know the distance between you and that little innocent child down here. And they seem to know what they're doing. Picture you and the distance between the infinite God. And so when we wrestle with things like this and we see... Why isn't it? Why did you kill that guy, not that guy? Why did you just kill them all? We connect with we connect with David in the Psalms. If only you would slay the wicked, O oh God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. And they speak of you with nothing but evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name, and that's exactly what this guy Elamis was doing, and he got his blindness. And what's interesting is it says Saul, so, um. Saul call uh who's called Paul, and this is the first time we see the name switch here, uh, fills with the Holy Spirit. He looks intently at him, all right, and he lets him have it. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteous, you full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That word uh crooked is um dia And um it uh, It it means literally distorted or twisted. It's a really good translation to say um, uh, crooked or perverted right there. Perverted. And then this other word straight. The other word straight actually is from two Greek roots. um, The EU root, which we get um, the word good out of eventually, and then tithemi. And um, it is the idea of of, of a level there's a a level that just is naturally going to be this straight level. You're twisting unnecessarily. You're perverting unnecessarily something that is so clearly straight. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see. You were trying to keep other people from seeing the true light. You're not going to be able to see the sun and immediately mist and darkness falls upon him. The exact thing that happens to Saul, which led to Saul's conversion but does this guy repent? No. What does he do? He went about seeking people to lead him. God stops him in his tracks, and he could have right then and there fallen on his knee and repented. He could have been led by the other Saul and Barnabas, but he's seeking random people out there to lead him by the hand. And the pro-council, good, believes when he saw what's occurred, why? Because he's astonished at the teaching of the Lord. God bringing together and separating out, bringing together and sending out. And I want you to go back to what you said at the beginning, what you wrote on your beginning, and you and that person, that moment, that situation, that prayer request. And I want you to think about how God was planning exactly what he needed to plan in the exact moment for Peter and Cornelius to meet up in that exact timing. And it is too hard of a stretch for you to imagine right now that God is working in the heart of that person God is working in the lives of the people that need to come together for the situation. And is it also something that you can just say, I'm going to let it go, God, because you know what? Even if it doesn't happen the way I think it should happen in my imagination, like getting some guy getting eaten by worms and some guy not getting beheaded like James, I would have not imagined that. I wouldn't say, oh, James, you know, I hope you don't get beheaded. I would have like, of course I would pray that. But God says, nope, taking him home. And it, Peter, I, I rescue. Not mine well but thine that's our prayer that's where it all comes together that's we go back to Ephesians 2 and he says I broke down the dividing wall of hostility and I think if we can come to that place of true humility before God and see the brokenness and see the the scattered we know that God you're not going to do it in the way that I need it done necessarily I'm going to trust you in this moment you were faithful throughout time to do it exactly when it needed to happen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, for your power and your grace and your love and your mercy for your patience for breaking down that dividing wall because none of us in this room would even be here if it wasn't for that moment in time. And thank you that in the fullness of time, you came and you rescued and you spoke life and you brought us all together under the banner of your love. And Lord, as we move out now into this next lesson and this next part of the study, let us embrace it with that kind of joy and zeal to discover more about who you are so we can get on that that right straight path and avoid any twisting and perverting of your word. We thank you and we love you and we praise you for the good work that you do in each of our lives. We ask that you bless us now as we head on out. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Hallelujah.